Welcome to the NAI F-Ball Podcast, covering all things NAI football. Today we have an exciting episode for you guys. We are doing an interview, it's pre-recorded, with Bethel, Tennessee head coach, Brent Dearman. Corey, who is my co-host, um, he joins me on this interview. Corey, can you give us any thoughts of uh, just your general opinion before this interview starts? Man, I just came away from it just being real impressed by by Coach Dearman. Um, you know, you you always kind of wonder uh, who these coaches are, um, and you can learn a lot of, about you know who they are as as people, not just coaches. By you know, even in just a simple interview, and I just came away real real impressed with Coach Dearman, how personable he was. Um, and how willing he was to take some time out of his busy schedule to, to talk with us. Corey, if you are a high school recruit that is looking for a place that would keep you and make you succeed for all four to five years that you're in that program, in that university, I would say Bethel, Tennessee is one of those places to go to. Um, in the interview, guys, we hit on what makes them successful so far. And if you follow us on Twitter and any social media platform at NAIFball, uh, you'll see that we talked about with Coach that he has three to four guys on a staff, including himself, that have went through the NAIA grind, have played at Bethel themselves, so they know what's going on. So sit back, relax, and join the interview with the RPO master, Brent Dearman. Hey, NAI football fans. We are here with Bethel head coach, Coach Brent Dearman. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, just finishing up, putting toys together, and, and finishing up my honey-do list before I got to go back to work. Hey, that's a real man there. So first question we have to ask you is – when will all of your staff get together and go ahead and take that first meeting for the 2019 season, if you haven't done it already? We're actually all going to go together down to the convention in San Antonio. Uh, we're actually all staying together, so we may meet a few nights while we're down there, go out to eat a little bit while we're down there. Uh, but then on the night uh, of January, when we all get back in town, we'll, we'll really hit a big recruiting meeting, kind of a, uh, put everything back together. I didn't lose anybody off the staff, which is which is rare at college level. So uh, going into year two with the exact same staff is, is just a blessing for me. So I'm looking forward to it. Well, that's awesome, Coach. Um, one thing about the convention, I'm sure you're going to have to have a big folder. There's probably going to be a lot of people dropping off their resume to you. Uh, I know how that thing works. Uh, it's great that you haven't lost anybody on the staff. Are you thinking about adding anyone? If, if we could, I'd, I'd love to. We're actually, my school actually opened up a couple uh, extra grad assistant uh, positions for us. So we were able to bring uh, two of our senior players on board. So uh, just having people around that care about Bethel means a lot to us. But uh, you're always taking resumes. You're always planning for if, if you lose a coach. So uh, some of those handshakes and resumes are, are going to get scored back just in case. Right. So, Coach, let's let's reflect on what's happened this past 2018 season. Um, no one expected you guys to do as well as you did. You guys were basically the darlings of the Mid-South Conference by season's end. Um, in retrospect, can you just give a little short summary of what your thoughts on this season? Uh, just to 
an unbelievable uh, roller coaster ride of a season. You know, you look at uh, was able to come in uh, first of the year um, and, and inherit a, a really talented football team that, that was hungry. Uh, credit to our guys of how hard they worked. Got a phenomenal staff that came in and worked really hard. Uh, we got after it this this off season in the weight room and the film room and uh, coming out of spring ball, I would not have expected. Um, uh, five or six win team and, and you got guys that just continue to work hard continue to work over the summer had a big win against Reinhardt early in the year that kind of got us rolling um, got the momentum going and um, overtime win against Georgetown about four or five games in uh, was kind of that second second pillar that kind of was able to set up and fall for us and um, then a huge win against the conference reigning conference champion Lindsey Wilson on the road so help prepare the team to, to get that 10-0 and uh, regular season and, and win the conference. And, uh, just uh, uh, an amazing season and uh, very blessed to be here. Right. So, Coach, you mentioned two games in particular. First one is the Reinhardt game, where Reinhardt, I believe at the time, was preseason top five, uh, coming off of a national championship game appearance, and you guys weren't even ranked. You go in, you surprise them, and you beat them. But the game I want to talk about and what impressed me with your team was the game against Georgetown. Um, basically a lights-out game, total offensive showdown. Uh, I felt like, to me, Coach, that was the point where everybody in McKenzie, Tennessee, probably thought this team had character and integrity. They're going to slap you in the mouth, knock you in the mouth, and if they get knocked in the mouth, they're going to come right back at you. I think, to me, that was game of the year. Can you explain, and I want you to tell us about that last play where Georgetown goes for two and misses. I want to—I have video of that on my phone of the excitement. Can you tell me more about that? You know, just the whole game in general. If you look at it early in the game, we're down 14 points. Um, they get a tip ball interception where uh, we're backed up in the red zone, um, and our defense does a heck of a job getting stop, get the turnover down there when Georgetown could go up 21 on us. And uh, I think our team responded to that adversity really well, uh, which kind of defined us, which was a character-building moment for us this year. Um, and we went, actually, if you go back in the game, we go, we do a fake field goal earlier in the game uh, to go for two when we got a lead. Georgetown is trying to chase those points a little bit later, runs their two-point conversion play and actually scores to tie the game. Um, and then when we get to overtime, Georgetown tries to go for two for the win and runs the exact same play that they'd run earlier in the game. So if we didn't go for two, if we weren't able to pull out the, the uh, fake field goal in the game, we don't see that play, uh, and they probably score on us there in overtime. So uh, great job by, you know, we've got all-conference middle linebacker, Jeremy Blue, uh, was able to recognize the formation, recognize the play, uh, makes a stop at the line of scrimmage. So big-time play for us. Uh, kind of set, like you like you said, it, it set the tone for our season, make people open their eyes to, to Bethel about uh, halfway through the year there. Coach, um, you talk about Jeremy Ballou. He's he's coming back next year, if I, if I remember correctly, along with... Um, yes, sir. yes, sir. Along with a couple of, of D linemen that, that are uh, havoc makers, Jeremy Johnson and Chris Beavers. Uh, can you talk about that, that trio here a little bit and what they accomplished last season? You know, we're really excited about uh, what we got coming back on the defense side of the ball. Um, you know, we were we had two seniors in the secondary, one senior uh, linebacker, but 
with with uh, your all conference middle linebacker come back and Jeremy Blue. We did not play a senior defensive lineman this year, and I thought the strength of our defensive side of football was our D line. So uh, Jeremy Johnson led the conference in tackles for loss. Uh, Jeremy Blue, uh, you know, he, he's at the top of the league every single week in tackles in, in the game. Uh, Chris Beavers is, is is great off the edge to create havoc for uh, uh, on third long. But then you've also got um, Hicks on the inside, interior D lineman. Keyshawn Brummett is probably our most explosive D lineman on the inside. All those guys coming back next year. So, um, you know, this past year we had an explosive offense that we felt like we could score at any moment. Next year we're going to lean more on the defense than we did this past year. So we're really excited about those guys. I, I, I want to touch on that, Coach. Your defensive line is probably the – Best well-kept secret, you know, until the year started progressing. You know, I, I think going back, I don't have it in front of me. I'd like to say almost every starter was an all-conference bluegrass division player. Um, but they're coached by Michael Jasper, you know. And um, I've had my personal run-ins with Coach Jasper in Montgomery, Alabama back in 2010. And he wasn't very kind to me, Coach. So I'm going to tell him that I'm going to get back with him because he crushed me when I was in a Faulkner Eagle uniform. But... We can set up a meeting between you two if we need to. Hey, hey, just make sure his hands are tied behind his back or something. Uh, but anyways, I'd like to touch with like guys like Coach Jasper and them and Coach Roth. You you have a lot of people on your staff. A lot of people talk about you um, coming from Bethel. You know, you set records there. But you have a lot of guys around you that are from Bethel itself. Do you think you can credit a lot of success to that? You have guys invested into Bethel already coming in. That's very unique to me. Absolutely. We've got three, including myself as four, but I've got three assistants that uh, played at Bethel, um, were great players at Bethel, with Coach Ross being a punter at Bethel, uh, does our special teams, Coach Jasper being a uh, D-lineman, did, uh, played a little bit on offensive line. Um, at the end of his career as well, played in the NFL. And then Coach Springer, our co-DC, uh, played defensive back for Bethel as well. So to have our players, to see guys that have done it, have, have, have aced that dining hall, have lived in those dorms, that have uh, laid the foundation for our program, it just gets a little bit more respect out of our players, I believe. And you guys know at the NAI level, when you as a player realize that somebody else has done this, somebody else has, has, has sweat, I've got their blood and sweat on that field and in that in that weight room. You, you, you respect those guys a little bit more for it. Right, Coach, and I agree. And um, we uh, we're, we were talking about recruiting before we uh, started the, the recording here. But um, as far as recruiting, I would imagine that kids coming into McKenzie to see you guys, and I kept up with you guys all throughout the season, and you guys did a first-class act on how you guys hosted these recruits. But I feel like you guys earn a lot of respect to these kids and families saying that you've been there just like you said. So kudos to that. Um, I want to go back and talk about some of the players that were all conference. Um, I know my host, Corey, co-host Corey, he wants to talk about your quarterback that's leaving. Um, I'm going to let him take the floor. Yeah. Um, you know, you've, you've got your... Your quarterback, uh, Sam Castronova, that's that's a sing that was a senior this year. Um, talk a little bit about his legacy and also what you've got coming up um, from from behind him. I, I know you got a, a junior quarterback, Nolan Chalbe, there that uh, played a little bit for 
for y'all this this year. Uh, but but talk about um, Castroneves legacy and and Chow Bay a little bit for me. You know what what Sam was able to do for us is is bring a leadership to our team. You know the style of offense that we run um, provides the, the possibility for a quarterback to put up big numbers with with the RPOs, with the downfield play action passes that we have, uh, with the quarterback run game we do. So um, we knew he was going to have a big year. We didn't know how how great of a year he was going to have. Uh, we didn't know that uh, you know he didn't turn the ball over, which is huge for us. Is, is not having the interceptions, not being high, not having the, the fumbles. Um, and, and he stepped up big-time role for us, but his biggest impact he made was, was in a leadership role. Uh, he's a son of a pastor. Um, so, so everything that he provided for us in the locker room, everything he provided for us in practice, he was just a, a coach on the field once we got about mid-year. And he started really understanding the offense, understanding what we were trying to do. Uh, he could coach guys up while we were at practice. He could coach guys up in the game. So we're going to miss that. Uh, but on the flip side of it, Nolan, Nolan Chalbay uh, had packages this year. Uh, Nolan would play about 10, 10 or so plays a game because we tried to get him uh, some, some good reps, good experience this year. Actually, Nolan, Sam, uh, in, that, in the first game, had a big uh, turnover early in the game. I thought he, he went uh, playing up the par. And, and Nolan actually played the entire second half against Reinhardt uh, in a big game earlier in the year. So we've got a backup quarterback that's stepping into a stark role that, that played meaningful snaps this past year and actually uh, had a really good completion percentage, had a really good passer efficiency. So we're looking for him to just continue uh, what Sam left, uh, that big impression Sam left this past year. Right. And uh, something you talked about and, uh, you know, we're excited to see where your passing game goes, but for your RPO coach, what percentage of your play calling do you think it is as far as run to pass ratio? Run to pass, we're about fifty-five percent run, about forty-five percent pass, and uh, you know those percentages. It's great when you do RPOs because it could be either one. Uh, so defense doesn't get a high run pass percentage because. Uh, any play could be a pass. Any play could be a run. So uh, we, we try to uh, – we're not – we're calling RPOs to run the ball. My dad was an old O-line coach, and I know that you win games by running the football. So we're not calling RPOs to, to hurt people pass. We're calling them to get numbers in the box for the run game. Uh, and, and our quarterback's responsibility is to make sure the numbers are right in the box. Yes, sir. Um, one player I want to talk about, and I don't like I said, I don't have the roster in front of me, and I apologize if I butcher his name. Um, but your H back this year was very unique to watch during the games. You know, you had like a 6'5, 270 pounds, uh, Devontae Jimenez. I'm sorry if I butchered that name, but that guy was yes. massive in the backfield, and for your offense. You know, you have those split and stack sets in the backfield, but him pulling around, that was a load for defenders to watch out for. And he was a all-conference yes, player as well. Yes, he was all-conference and ended up making second-team All-American. Uh, you know, everything we were able to do on offense, Sam gets a lot of credit. Uh, we had a stable of running backs to get a lot of credit. But uh, Devontae is, is the biggest reason why we were able to, to put up the points we did because of his versatility. Uh, he could he could look like a pulling guard on, on counter plays. He could kick out ends on power. Uh, he did all of the split zone stuff and, and being able to block out on the edge for 
for our sweeps. But then it, he probably has the best hands on our team as well. So uh, he led our teams in, in uh, reception touchdowns this year. Uh, we would split him out uh, when we got in spread formation into double formation, whatever people call it. He was able to get out to the slot. Um, so teams couldn't scheme us up by personnel. So he was just a huge part of our offense, probably the biggest part of our offense this past year. And he was a senior, so he's going to be the toughest guy probably offensively we've got to replace this year. Coach, um, you know you know all too well that the season came to a, um, you know unceremonious end. Um, what, what do y'all do now that you're not the – you know the secret, the the dark horse in the in the bluegrass. Uh, what do you what do you do to take the next step to uh, advance and get to uh, get to Grambling this year? You know the big thing we talk about uh, that we're going to go into this this off season is make sure our guys stay hungry. We had a hunger in the spring, we had a hunger going into August, and we don't want our guys to get complacent. We we don't want to have uh, our guys feel like we've arrived. We don't want um, that feeling that, that we are, are supposed to be given anything. We've got to continue having that mindset like we were the 3-17 and 17 that was fighting and clawing to do everything we could to be great. And, and But we know now we're not going to sneak up on anybody. We know we're going to get everybody's best. We know we've got a big target on our back uh, for the way that we, we play the game. Um, so our guys got to, to put in a little extra is what we're going to require of our guys. Hey, whatever we did last year, uh, we've got to meet it, but we've got to exceed it a little bit as well. So just having that hunger uh, and doing a little bit extra this, this offseason. What excites you about next year's team? You know, we got a lot coming back. Uh, like you said, uh, at defensive front, uh, you know, I thought uh, they started getting the recognition at the end of the year that they deserve. But we've got probably one of the better defensive, defensive lines in the country, and they're all coming back. We've got one of the better middle linebackers in the country coming back. Uh, you know, you, you got an offensive team that, that averaged over 50 points a game, which is unreal. Uh, and, and most of those guys, we there was a few games this past year that we started four freshman offensive line um, and, and able to run the ball and get behind those big guys up front. Um, but just the, the, the high-quality character guys that we're able to coach every day just excites me uh, that I enjoy going to work. I enjoy coaching these guys. And the excitement that's going on in McKenzie right now is, is unparalleled. Coach, I know when I played at Faulkner University, um, two weeks into, or maybe a week into that uh, spring semester, you know, started your early morning workouts and conditioning, basically, and then you had the mat drills leading up to spring practice. Is that something you guys do in Bethel um, in the spring semester? Yes, it is. And what we actually do is uh, we start school. Our guys start classes this upcoming Monday. I think we're one of the first. Uh, schools in the country that go go back. Uh, we'll give those guys that first week to kind of get settled in with classes. And then that second week, two weeks from now, we go straight to mat drills. We go ahead and we knock out two straight weeks of 6 a.m. runs or workouts. Um, and, and, and we want to see right off the bat what guys are made of. Uh, we don't want to go all the way till February, wait till after signing day to get after it. We go ahead and get after it right now uh, to kind of separate the guys that really want to be a part of it. Uh, and, and, and you really get to see guys' character early. And our guys are ready to attack it. Um, our lead, my leaders are actually in a group text with me. We're all blowing me up today, talking about how excited they were to get back and get after it. So um, 
if they don't have much longer, we'll be we'll be doing our mat drills. That's what I'm talking about. Now, when you do mat drills, um, I've been around a couple different uh, NAI programs, and uh, I see a few give, I guess, incentives. So if you have a player that's absolutely dominant, you get a certain jersey, like the alternate jersey that's cool, everybody loves to go out and do your mat drills in. Then you might have, you know, you're okay, your average, you put another jersey on. And then if you're doing really bad, they put you in like a little cheap mesh jersey. You know, you better pick it up. Are you guys going to have any kind of incentives during mat drills? That's exactly what we do. Everybody starts off in a plain white jersey. Uh, the guys that are doing exceedingly well will graduate up to that purple jersey, that, that kind of that royal, uh, you know, that purple it makes you stand out, and the guys that, that don't meet the standard, the guys that, that can't can't uh, get to the level we want those guys at, or will be down in a red jersey. So uh, I love it that way because not only do the coaches already know who's bringing it every day, but sometimes as a player, you're just worried about uh, getting to a drill. You don't always get to see how everybody else is doing. So as a player, it kind of makes guys hold each other accountable because they can see uh, their teammates that are doing well and see the teammates that are. Uh, kind of pulling them back that are going to be in those red jerseys. So it's a great way to, to attack bad drills and, and be able to see what guys, what level they're bringing every day. Coach, uh, kind of transition here to a, a little bit about you here. I, I know uh, I was joking with John that uh, you uh, you wrote the book on the RPO, um, kind of literally. Um but yes. but you were an analyst under uh, Gus Malzahn at Auburn. Um, a little bit um, about me. I, I graduated from Florida State, and uh, my daddy is a diehard Bama fan. So, uh, you know, you, you faced uh, two of my teams there in, in 2013. <laughs> Talk about what's, what was your favorite moment at Auburn. You know, I was there in 13, which was probably one of the greatest college football seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, in history, if you look at uh, what Nick Marshall was able to come in and do in, in just one year, and, and the way that he was able to jump out and surprise people, and, and just be honest with you, we're going into in game one, and we really didn't know who the starter was going to be between Nick Marshall and the freshman Jeremy Johnson. Uh, we we kind of tinkered around with some offense about the first four weeks before Nick really started getting rolling, and then and then the zone read just took off, um, and, and, and watching that guy. Uh, every single day, watching him perform on, on, on Saturdays was just amazing. And then uh, the Capitol offense got the miracle tip pass at, at Georgia that year. Uh, we're able to fourth and 14. They would come back and win off of that miracle play. And then uh, two weeks later, against uh, your dad's favorite team over oh, there, the other team in the state, had, had to kick six plates. Still hurts. Um, and, and just the Capitol off, just a trip to the Rose Bowl, 13 seconds away from, from beating. Jameis Winston in Florida State, just an un- unbelievable season. I'll never forget that that entire year. Coach, I'm going to go the opposite direction now. Corey just talked about your uh, college experience, you know, as your analyst role. Um, I want to go back to where you were in Southwest Alabama, you know, coaching high school over there. I got my start myself in Clark County uh, for the Clark County Bulldogs, um, but you were in Mobile and at Viger and uh, BC Reigns. Um, I, can you just tell me how the high school game has might have molded you as a coach to where you are now? I think it, I don't know how much it molded you, um, but it helped me to get where I'm at uh, because of where I was at. You know, um, be 
an Alabama guy. You know, Viger's one of the uh, premier programs, one of the powerhouse programs every year in the state. They've always got um, four or five Division One guys every year. So I'm going in straight out of Bethel, got an OC job, going back to my high school at Viger. Won state championship my first year um, and, and felt like uh, I was on top of the world. Felt like in 23, um, there was nothing I called offensively that wasn't going to work. And now you look back at it, and eight of those guys were Division One football players. And, and, and it had nothing to do with what I was scheming. It had nothing to do with my play call. It had everything to do with the, the Jimmys and the Joes. You know, we sent two guys to Alabama. We sent my right tackle play to South Florida. I mean, uh, it didn't matter what we called. It was going to work because of the talent. Uh, but then I also – I was the same guy on Sundays that would have to go line the field like you know. You'd have to cut the grass. You'd have to uh, do the laundry. You'd have to sweep the, the locker room floor. So uh, it is, it's tougher to be a high school coach than it is to be a college coach. The time, the, the energy, everything that it takes out of you uh, makes you appreciate it. Once you get to the college level, it makes you really appreciate what you have at the college level because of the work you had to do in high school. Just to... Wrap things up, Coach. I, I want to know what is the best piece of advice that, that you've received? You know, uh, I worked under Tim Horton at Auburn. Uh, I learned a lot offensively from Gus. He's a, a, a wonderful, brilliant offensive-minded guy. Um, the way he coaches football doesn't curse. Um, but I'd say the greatest piece of advice I'd ever learned from anybody was from Tim Horton, the running back coach at Auburn. I watched him every day, sit down every morning, and write 10 handwritten notes still, either to former players of his, to coaching buddies of his, to recruits, and and just to see how he treated people and made people feel. He said, Coach, in this business, everybody can draw up plays, but it's about how you treat people. And I tried to take that. I tried to run with it. That's why we see us doing the things the way we do here in our recruiting, of how we treat families when they come on campus. We try to do things at a, a Division One class level uh, with our social media, uh, but we want to make people feel great. We want to make people feel loved and appreciated, and that's uh, something I learned from Coach Tim Horton at Auburn. Right, and so, Coach, and this is the last uh, little spill I'm going to give, and then we're going to let you go back and enjoy your family for the next couple of days. Um, you know, I, I think what you just said of um, – making people feel good feel special and you just said like having that basically a division one mentality especially with the social media and i believe coach roth is um responsible for that um the way you guys treated recruits and your players like it doesn't stop when they're just in high school when they get to bethel they still feel that way and they feel like a family there especially with some of the guys i've talked to on your uh team um, so that's great to hear. Um, I'm going to end with just one simple question, Coach. In 2019, how many times are we going to see Mid-South opponents, that play side linebacker or backside linebacker, scream up for the zone, and then you throw that pop pass right over them? I, I tell you, I don't know how many times we'll see that. I'd rather them play the pass first. I'd rather them backpedal and then us hand the thing off. That, that's actually what makes me more excited. That's I'd a rather, physical mindset, uh, Coach. I like that. Absolutely. I like that running back getting seven more than I do the chance of throwing that, that pass off of it. So we're just trying – I hope we soften people up more in 2019 and get them coming down here. 
Well, Coach, I really appreciate your time with us today. Um, I hope that we can get back with you uh, after signing day or even before then. But uh, you guys that are listening to the podcast, you need to go ahead and check out his book, The Evolution of the RPO, and you need to watch out for the Bethel Wildcats. Coach, I appreciate your time today. Thanks, Coach. We appreciate everything you guys do for NAI football. Yes, sir. Thank you. So that concludes the recording with the interview with Coach Brent Deerman. Uh, Corey, before we transition on, I believe that interview says everything in itself and all the information needed. I don't think we need to be redundant or anything, but I do want to get your last opinion on that interview and what all happened in it and one thing you might have taken away, and then I'll give my one thing. Honestly, I, I'm always a huge fan of the uh, different colored jerseys during during uh you know spring and fall ball that just that separates the men from the boys right there and i tell you what um if you were to slap one of the you're not performing jerseys on me i'd i'd have to go out there and and give it give it my all next practice i I couldn't stand to let down let down my brothers like that yeah i i totally agree with that so if you missed it in the interview uh, Coach Brent Deerman puts the non-performing players in that red jersey and his highest performing players in the purple jersey. Uh, for me, my one takeaway was how excited his players are to get back at it, to build off that 10-0 undefeated regular season that ended in a way they didn't like in the playoffs. So I'm eager to see what happens there. And I'm also eager to see that if he can stay with his hopes of being a more run-heavy team this year and less pass and see if teams will stack that box on them and hopefully be able to run through it. I'm very interested in that. Now, transitioning on before we close this podcast, Corey, you have some news of the Morningside head coach. What happened there? Yeah, so uh, Coach Ryan was named the NAI representative for the American Football Coaches Association. Uh, for those that don't know, this is a, this is a very prestigious uh, board of Trustees. He um, joined such coaches as uh, Gary Patterson out of TCU, Pat Fitzgerald of Northwestern, Bronco Mendenhall out of, out of Virginia, um, David Cutcliffe out of, out of Duke, and, uh, and Dan Mullen out of, out of the University of Florida. So, I mean, this is just a, this is, this is a big deal. I mean, um, you know, this was a, an organization. John, you, you know, who one of the founders was, was Amos Alonzo Stagg, one of the best coaches to ever do it. Right, and that's absolutely royalty. So, guys, if you don't realize what Corey's talking about, we're talking about the AFCA here. This is where the NEI names their own All-American teams, but the AFCA names All-American teams for every division. It's very prestigious and honorable to be a part of it. Uh, right now, uh, as we're recording this podcast, they are having their convention in San Antonio where every coach of every league division meets up, collaborates, and some are looking for jobs. So that's a huge networking possibility there. Now, Corey, before we end it, I heard a rumor from somebody in your household that we are having another podcast interview from another playoff contending coach. Who would that be? That's going to be Coach Schumacher out of Concordia. I'm, I'm super excited about this. I love picking the brains of guys who are performing 
at the highest highest level and and I and I look forward to, I I really want to interview all of, of the 16 guys that were um that made the playoffs uh this year. Uh Concordia of course ended their season uh with a 54 to 38 loss to the uh runners up Benedictine. Um and so I'm I'm looking forward to to asking about it. It it uh, looks like uh coach Shu as they uh call him. Uh, is bringing back a lot on offense, including his uh, his quarterback, uh, Roger Engel, and his running back, Joe Connor. Um, those are both rising seniors next year, so I'm real excited to, to hear him talk about, um, you know, what's coming back. Right, I, I'm very excited about that, and I'm very excited to uh, pick the brain of him with his offensive line techniques and that power blocking that they have. And just, you know, just sit down, shoot the bull, and have a good time. Now, guys, this wraps it up for this show. Um, please, 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 if you don't already, it takes no time, takes no money. Just go follow us on every social media platform. We have a vision, you guys. We are coming after those sponsorships. We're going to make this a full-time thing. We want that YouTube channel that's going to have the NAI Top 10 Plays Weekly. We're going to have the NAI F-Ball top 25 we're going to have preseason stuff postseason stuff we're going to go cover games we're here for you guys follow us spread the word we're coming after it you guys enjoy have a good one